Hello, this is Jacqueline Sanders Blackman, and this is episode 37 of One Slide at a Time. And I want to go back to the Agile Manifesto. And even though this isn't recorded live, I can already hear your, your virtual groans. I know some of you are sitting there going, I know the Agile Manifesto. I heard about the Agile Manifesto. But if I was to give you a pop quiz, you'd probably hit and miss here and there the actual words and the Agile Manifesto. But what I want to actually make sure that does the meaning and the intent actually resonate with you? Because we need to be reminded over and over a lot of times. And even when rereading something, it takes on new meaning because we now have new experiences and new perspective. So the Agile Manifesto of 25 plus years ago, um, it reads a little bit different when you look at it, especially when you have my lens that on top of it where I'm looking at it and knowing what different teams have experienced as they were transitioning from waterfall or from legacy or in-house systems and then the introduction of so many different approaches to agile and there being conferences and speakers so you hear and see things that you can't unhear and unsee and they become a part of your knowledge and lens that you look through when you read and digest something like the Agile Manifesto. So let me talk through um, some of the, the basics. As some of you and most of you may know, the Agile Manifesto really was just four statements. This is by a, a group of engineers in the IT technology um, arena that had tried several different other methods and methodologies and at the time the most popular was the waterfall method which was very structured and these just didn't really serve their purpose so they just said let's put our heads together and just come up with in a simplistic form what we really need to focus on uh, when it comes to being an agile team um, and at the time let's be clear that they were really thinking about engineers. There wasn't this holistic kind of cross-functional team idea until the idea of Scrum came along and came up under the Agile umbrella. And for many people, the Agile Manifesto, being these kind of broad statements, they needed something to anchor it on. And a lot of people felt like Scrum uh, gave you the framework in order to apply Agile. So that's how the two kind of got closely associated, but not all Agile is Scrum. Um, and, uh, and you can do Agile and there's other frameworks. I do recommend that you use some framework. I don't think you can just take the Agile manifesto um, and just adhere to the, the it conceptually um, without, especially in a business environment, 
whether you're building out some type of system or solution or providing a service. In business, you do need frameworks because there needs to be accountability and outcomes. So let's be clear about that, that the Agile Manifesto, even though it's a way of working, you need to marry that with a framework that helps you ensure that there's outcomes and accountability. What I see far too often is people want to say that they're Agile, and because Agile doesn't specifically speak to, the Agile Manifesto doesn't speak to outcomes, then they feel like, by omission, we don't have to do that. And that's not reasonable in a business environment, whether you're just a group of engineers or whether you're a team. At the end of the day, there needs to be accountability and outcomes. So let's, let me put that on pause and return back to my one slide that I really want to focus on, which is the Agile Manifesto. It's four statements, and the key here is, is that it's comparing one thing to another. And one would be kind of more of a more agile atmosphere versus things that we focused on in the waterfall structured, rigid atmosphere. So for example, we're comparing individuals and interactions over process and tools. And I'm gonna keep reiterating, and at the bottom of the manifesto, at the bottom of the four statements, is a disclaimer that says, while we value the items on the right, so they're not completely dismissing process and tools, we value the items on the left more. So even in that first statement, individual and interaction is on the left. We real, that, that's what we want to really focus on. And out of those, the, with the various different frameworks and different terminology that, and, and, and uh, glossaries that, that, that came up as a result of Agile, things like healthy team and team building and um, that communication and collaboration, that's what we focus on. That's how we implement the individual and the, the interaction. And even having the supporting ceremonies, even something as specific as daily stand-ups. It was an opportunity that you had a built-in ceremony in Scrum that on a daily basis, you were checking in with your team members and your teammates and um, setting up the day for that continuous communication um, versus when you're just focused on process and tools. It's what we found a lot of time people were checking boxes and going through the, the motions and they were putting data and information in the tool. If you wanted that information, then go run a report or go see the dashboard or go look in the tool. We were too busy pointing people to those tools or to those, those processes. If you want to know how something's going, look at, here's the process, here's the status. And it really kind of removed the humanizing of the work and the work experience. And Agile wants to bring us back to humanizing that. We 
got to talk, we've got to have communication. And this is where I want to make one sidebar is that when we went to remote working through the COVID, um, what we did is the one thing that Agile had really promoted was being co-located. That's so that we could just talk to, we took down the walls, the cubicle walls got a lot shorter, or just were tables with open spaces because they wanted us to talk and eavesdrop and overhear chatter uh, about related things because we were all focused on the same things. Um, but now that we've gone remote, we it's kind of set us up to fall back into those habits where the cubicle walls are up, but now the cubicle walls actually are, um, we're physically just separated. We're in our, our homes and it then becomes too much effort to ping somebody or, or when I say ping, like uh, via the Slack channel or the chat rooms or the Google Hangouts, you feel like, oh, I might be interrupting them. So you never know what's a good time. You don't have that physical cue to know, oh, okay, they're sitting at their desk right now. They're not doing anything. Let me go ask them a question. Let me go type, tap them on the shoulder. You, you don't necessarily have that. And you just naturally, instinctively, um, over time, just the, the, the pings and the uh, touch points become less and less. And, and before you know it, we're back out of touch again. Um, and so I actually do see organizations and teams reverting back to, we got to get the tools. We got to set up the tools. We got to get the information in this tool. We got to, yeah, the word specification is is back. You know, we got to write specs. Um, we got to be detailed in the specs. Um, and, and so this is where, because of a change, and kind of the configuration and the environment, we need to revisit this conversation about how do we make sure we have to that we humanize uh, the the work and the our agile approach. And in some teams, uh, I encourage them over communicate. It's going to feel like you're over communicating, and it's got to be okay that hey, I I need to tap you virtually on the shoulder and ask you a question. Um, you might say, hey, give me five minutes, give me 10 minutes, I'll be right back with you. But um, the same way that we we would virtually tap each or, or physically tap each other on the shoulder or catch each other by the coffee pot um, or just passing in the halls, all of those impromptu conversations, we've lost those. And they're valuable when we identify their value and, and acknowledge that they're valuable, then we'll make time, we'll be creative, and we'll make sure that that art <laughs> of the humanizing and communication interaction is not lost. Okay? Now, that's just my, that's just the first uh, grouping, individual and interaction over process and tools. Let me go to the second one. Working software over comprehensive documentation. Well, that one is a sign of where Agile came from, which was IT software. Okay, we get that part. So 
a lot of groups and organizations have sub- substituted in, you know, providing a service, providing a working solution, and making it more all-encompassing. Um, and and that's that's in the spirit of agile, whatever that overall outcome is, and making sure everybody is on the, the, the same page. What that line says to me is that we've got to be clear what is our outcome, what is our goal, and and under and in, in agreeing and coming to consensus on a shared vision of where we're trying to get to together and making sure that all of our individual contributions is directed toward that. We regardless of what the documentation says. And that's why that statement says, working software over comprehensive documentation. And just accepting and realizing documentation, don't get me wrong, it's absolutely important and valuable in that there might be certain decisions or actions or follow-up. I absolutely encouraged that those are documented and kept somewhere, but that they should feel like a living document. That's the biggest difference between when I think about the first 15 years of my career, Waterfall, and the last 15 plus um, of Agile, is that once it was written and and documented, it was almost like it was chiseled in stone. And if you needed to change it or you had some new information, you had to go through a process to to change something that obviously needed to be changed. A living document, that's why we use stickies. That's why we use whiteboards when we were physically in contact with each other. So to go back to Word and to go back to spreadsheets, I that's when I see the rigidity coming back in um, when you're using collaboration tools such as mural boards or parable, um, mural um, are all collaboration boards. And I think Google also has some, um, Microsoft has some, everyone has a, a version of collaboration tools. Zoom has even beefed up uh, the tools within Zoom that allow for collaboration. And the, the biggest difference is sometimes just seeing something that is just kind of scribbled out and a little messy and, you know, you can tangibly take something and simulate the stickies and move the stickies around is a way of radiating this is a living document. Now, moving right along to the The next one, as we wrap up, number two was working software over comprehensive documentation. Number three is customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And what that means is, in its best form, in in, in agile groups that I've, I've been with, is that it truly feels like the product owner, the product manager, are part of the team not separate from engineering. And I've, I've seen this where engineering, 
a, a group of engineers have embraced Agile. They've made an Agile team and they've left the, the product owner, product manager as the outside. Now, they may reach out to them and have some conversations with them. But when it's time to start doing the work and the work process, then they kind of close off to themselves and they're their own team and they have their own stand-ups and um, those types of conversations. Whereas the real intent is that the customer is not just involved up front and on the back end. That is as waterfall as you can get. They actually are involved day by day. And now, here is the argument that I sometimes get or the pushback I get is, well, they won't understand. It's technical. We'll take the time to, to communicate it, at least for the, the, the period of times that they're involved in your ceremonies or in the, the meetings. Communicate it, break it down in such a way that it is understandable. That is on the engineers or whoever the technical person is. I love to use analogies. And, and for example, if I take my car to a mechanic and they tell me that they're going to have my car for a week and it's going to, the price tag is going to be $1,000 or more, then explain to me exactly what we need to do here. What is going to, to happen? What's going to be different? Um, and I, uh, the mechanics that I work with on a regular basis um, have no problem breaking it down to me, taking me under the hood, pointing things out to me, showing me the before and after. Now, those who felt like, hey, it's, it's too complicated, you wouldn't understand, well, I just don't do business with them. <laughs> um, I, I, I may not be a mechanic. I can't fix it. But I can understand um, if you take the time um, and break it down, I, I can clearly understand what the impact, what the benefits are, um, and if something's complex or not. Um, so keeping the, the customer close and throughout. Um, that's number three, customer collaboration over just contract negotiation. And again, when you just bring them in the front and... You want them to lay out everything they want up front and sign a piece of paper and then go away, um, then we're not building the relationship that would, and again, we're getting away from that humanizing of the, the work. To you, the um, customer becomes the contract in that old rigid way, and you again just go by the contract, and then at the end, when we have a different results, in my case, you know, I did I did what I said on this this contract, but yet your car still doesn't run. Well, then I, I have a problem with that. This is the outcome. And if you discovered something else in addition that was wrong with the car, then bring me back in. Let's talk about it. Um, let's, you know, any decisions, anytime we have to, to pivot any new information, Bring that customer back in. Include them in the conversation. Get their buy-in. All right. I'm going to wrap up with number four, which is responding to change over following a plan. Embracing change. 
And that includes the customer changing their mind. And consider it, again, it's all how you receive something. If you set it up that, okay, I'm providing the customer with information, insight, I'm exposing them to uh, the, the software um, and, and what they've asked for. And now upon seeing it, they have a, they're reacting to it. And now they see how their hypothesis or idea might have been flawed and they want to shift or change, then embrace that. Why stick to building the wrong thing if there's new information received? So think in terms of agile is meant to be kind of an experimental, incremental way of developing a solution. So whether it's, again, picking out a car on a car lot, I go in there, and this has happened to me every time I bought a car. I go with one list. This is what I have to have. Then when I start seeing the inventory, oh, I might see some a new technology that came, came out, and I'm, I'm a gadgets person, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I want that too. Oh, but it might be a give and take situation where I have to give up this to get that and this type of model or this type of package. Um, the same with house. I identified a, a color that I wanted to repaint my dining room. It looked, I loved it in the, the store. I bought it. Painter did half a wall. And in the middle, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The way the light is hitting that, the way the sun comes in this room, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I changed my mind. So appreciate that. I'm sure you've changed your mind um, in, in some of the, the your situations. And so... Instead of, because for too long, I have heard people say, the customer doesn't know what they want. I just finished that off by saying, they don't know what they want until they have it. So sometimes you have to see it, you have to feel it, you have to experience it, and then you, your reaction will determine, are we on the right track? So keep in mind, agile, agility, embracing change, responding to change, that's, that has to, that's an adjustment in your reaction, um, more so in, in, in your expectations, expected change. Expect them to, to learn fast and uh, with the, the, the learning and responding um, and the opportunity for feedback, some things are going to change. Um, and at the end of the day, the end result is a happy customer and the right product at that moment. And knowing, as I've, I've talked about just in the last episode, as fast as things change, that moment of that, the viability of that solution, even in itself, is short term. And so don't get attached emotionally to the things that you, you build in our new agile world, in our new norm, we're building it for that moment and it may satisfy and provide great value for a period of time. Uh, but in the blink of an eye, everybody's looking for what's next. So it's it, it can be an exciting thing um, if you look at it that way. So 
you now have the Agile Manifesto with a little bit of a twist and a different perspective. Please feel free to comment. We have a comment section here on the, the podcast. And you can always also email me at askyourcoach at technologyexpresso.com. You'll see the link in the description section. I look forward to your comments and your feedback. Thanks for listening. Until next time.